Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast, the longest running podcast on climate and weather in the Southwest of the United States. Mike Crimmins. Exactly, do it. <laughs> I don't think that's actually a compliment. It's like a, the world's <laughs> largest ball of twine. I sense you're kind of persnickety. So how you doing? How you feeling? How's your like monsoon mood meter treating you? It's not good, Zach. Not good, which is really weird for the way this monsoon has been rolling across the Southwest. So you can probably guess why. How much has rained at your house? So we've had about a half inch. So I should I should mention that we are recording this at the tail end of July. So this is Thursday, July 28th. You have had a half an inch with an early start that we'll talk about and through 90% of, of July. That's right. Yeah. And how about you? Less. I know <laughs> you're in much better mood than I am. I'm actually not, I don't have a, I'm not recording at my house, yeah. but there is like a Pima County flood control gauge, like three blocks from my house. So at, at that station, and I live close to downtown, it's 0.28, basically a quarter of an inch of, of rain to date through the monsoon season, which honestly is, is, is pretty depressing. That's but you look out, Mike, you look out and you're like, I've had a, a number of big thunder claps and I'm like, it's on. And then nothing. I'm with you, man. I, it's been, it's been, it's been a phenomenal spectator sport this summer. And I'm trying to decide like emotionally, is it better to just have everybody go down together? Like 2020, you know, where we're all in misery or is it better to actually have some people get some rain, even if it's not me. <laughs> you can kind of see this is like a this is like a like a moral dilemma. I think it's a lot like if you're watching sports and your favorite team loses in overtime. I think this year is like losing in overtime versus if you just get blown out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Because because you, you have that heightened adrenaline and you're you're so invested. I was remembering watching some soccer in the spring where you watch a team go down and and like. In overtime and it, those games are just so emotionally exhausting whereas the ones that are over at the beginning are kind of boring i think that's really good because 2020 i had deep resignation by this time right you know we were both just like <laughs> let's just move on where well, you this go through one, the I, full stages of grief we we talked about this you, but totally you can do. progress you can progress yeah, and, I, and i even understand like my livelihood doesn't depend on it raining so i can only imagine what it's like if you're like a farmer or a rancher or yeah dealing with, you know, management issues and wildlife and ecosystems where you need this rain. It's just like, I'm so invested in it raining at our house that I get completely emotionally tangled up in it. Whereas I was standing outside several afternoons this week, watching the clouds, you know, we don't do that much, but I was actually literally watching the clouds, like looking to see if that like storm complex was going to make it close to our neighborhood. And if that one was going to come over here and that kind of stuff. And I could not believe on how unlucky we were it just and day after day after day where it would rain so close to our house, like an inch, and we wouldn't even get the sloppy drops that would fly out of the edge of the storm or any of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's been a little bit intense that way. Yeah. Your Slack messages have like mirrored what happened a couple of years ago. They've been angry. To have it, and it's, it's nuts because is how how I would de describe it. You've been yeah. you've been a little moody. Oh, and, and I have. I was telling you earlier too that I've I've been a little bit short with my family members, and I was trying to like figure out why, and I realized it was because of the rain. And I'm like, that is not healthy. That is not <laughs> a good way. And like you said, I just watched an epic thunderstorm pound the uh, west end of the Catalinas for the sixth day in a row, and it was beautiful. And I. But I couldn't even like conjure up the like, just feeling good for those people getting those, that range. <laughs> All right. So I tagged us with a little bit of a thought experiment to push us here, which is we're going to frame this podcast around for making a case that it's been a good monsoon and making a case that it's been a bad monsoon. So that's what you're going to get. We'll also do a, a little bit of a segment on some of the hazards and we'll end it with the monsoon fantasy forecasting game, which is in its second 
version this year and it's even more popular than last year and we're having a lot of fun with it so we'll we'll, we'll talk yeah. to those you, you know you could have you could have won a home weather station to track your precept at home Zach. <laughs> no last year this year uh fortunately we have a better gift uh or a gift that will resonate with more of our our our, our players which is just an amazon gift card <laughs> All right. So uh, before getting into that, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, what we wanted to do is try to get a sense of who's listening and what they find valuable about this podcast. Because inevitably, uh, at some point, Mike, somebody asks, why are you doing this? And why are you not doing that? I mean, I know why I'm doing this. This is like the best day of my month. Same um, here. Yep. But that doesn't always resonate with uh, the people that want you to do other things too. So we've got a yeah, we just kind of want to see who's listening. And and so if you have been listening, or even if you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, it'd be great. We'd be really appreciative if you just fill out a short survey, probably take you five minutes. Yeah, very short. We'll paste that link in the show notes. But for those that are just tuning in, listening to this, I'll, I'll read it out. It's tinyurl.com forward slash pod. So we'll post that also in the show notes. You know, Ben sends out an email, so it'll be in that email as well. But if you're not if you're not part of the Clemus listserv and you don't get the email and you just have this coming directly to you uh, via whatever podcast server you use, then it'll be in the show notes. But yeah, so tell us what you think. Just a couple questions. Love to hear from you. Other thing I want to mention is we've been getting a few really good questions. People just send us emails. If you are inclined to do so. We'd love to take them. We try to like weave them in. Uh, if not uh, explicitly mention what the questions are, we'll, we'll try to weave it in and answer it implicitly. And we'll, and we'll do that today. Hopefully a uh, good question around uh, uh, mesoscale convective systems. So yeah, thanks, Sarah. And we there's no guarantee that we'll actually give a right answer <laughs> or a good answer or any combination. Of or a coherent answer. Or a we'll coherent answer. <laughs> we will try. All right. So Mike, the, our last podcast was right before the monsoon season, quote unquote, officially began June 15th. And all of the talk was for an early onset. Uh, you know, there was some indication, um, maybe some mixed actually results or, or hints at it. But I, but I do remember the chatter was, was about the, the moisture was going to creep in a little bit early and there was a lot of excitement about, about that. And that actually played out. And so we did have an early onset of the monsoon if uh, you want to use the old sort of dew point definition. Otherwise, it starts at the same time every single year. But what fun is that? So we're going we're gonna to use the old dew point definitions at Tucson, which is dew point values for three consecutive days above 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And, and if you use that metric for Tucson, it turns out that the, that the moisture sort of wafted into the region seventh earliest on record. Yeah. Really, pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that third day would have been on June 23rd. Okay. So a full week before, maybe even a full 10 days before historically the monsoon starts in Tucson and in, in Phoenix, you know, that, they have a very similar dew point definition to a degree higher, but their third consecutive day would have been the eighth earliest on record and um, June 27th. So for June, then if you just look at the aerial sort of spatial average across the Southwest monsoon re region, I'm now looking at your figure, Mike, which looks at the percent of the area experiencing different categories of rain. So either like much above average for that particular time or uh, above average or near average or below average, right? So basically at its height, like at the end of June, we had close to 50% of the Southwest experiencing much above average at that point. So, I mean, those values, right, they're small, right? So they're, the, the values aren't that big, but it, it is an indication that I was talking about Tucson and Phoenix, but th there was activity. There was yeah. activity and it was, it was fairly widespread. I mean, again, not just much above average, but if you look at near average, above average, and much above average, your three categories, it was close to 75% a little bit over 75% of the of the southwest monsoon region based on this uh, prism data. So what the heck was going on in June? 
the forecasts at that point were pretty bullish on us having a kind of a good, decent setup, kind of the way we're anticipating the monsoon last summer. And I, I was a bit skeptical that we're going to end up having some kind of repeat. Moisture-wise, it was pretty good. There was more of this trough off of the West Coast building subtropical ridge, building monsoon ridge to the south, which by the middle part of June got in the right position and started to push the moisture up into the Southwest, which doesn't happen necessarily every year. You know, we can end up having that trough um, push a little bit further south and dry us out, scour us out, and even cool the temperatures down a little bit, or we can end up having the ridge just in the wrong spot where that moisture import isn't there. So it was about June 18th into the 19th, you started to see this plume of moisture really reach up into New Mexico. And so New Mexico ended up having the activity first, and they ended up having a really gangbuster set of days on the 18th, like the 19th, the 20th, 21st, a big day on the 22nd, um, some pretty heavy rain across, across much of Western New Mexico. I think it even reached up close to Albuquerque. That pattern, you know, lasted for like six or seven days. And so I think that that's where you saw the big run up in the aerial coverage of the above average anomalies at that point. But largely, you know, sort of from Phoenix West, there wasn't much activity. So, but by the end of the month, just as you noted with the dew point, those dew points did creep up in the Tucson and Phoenix areas and started to fill in the low deserts. And we did start to see some activity that did put down some pretty good precipitation, like on the 26th, 27th. It did sort of slot back into New Mexico on the 28th. And that was the, the pretty robust start to the monsoon in that June period. Yeah, so looking at the preset maps, um, you noted that June 22nd sort of widespread, widespread across New Mexico, and it, it was in in part maybe just a little bit on the the eastern southeastern side of uh, of Arizona. Yeah, um, do you recall that event? Because if if you look at all of the monsoon days to date, that is the the day that has the most widespread rain and, and and it looks like the most intense or or whatever amount of uh, amount of rain that 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 fell was on that day i believe it was um it was a trough kind of interacting with subtropical moisture so that's typically what we see uh that drives these really kind of widespread heavy rain events is and they they tend to occur at the beginning of the season and the end of the season and you end up needing to have the dynamics and the moisture kind of interacting with each other to get widespread, wide-scale heavy rainfall. Yeah, and and again, looking at another sort of metric of an early onset, so sort of looking at in, in Arizona, it's the percent of area that experienced rain. You know, the average through June is, you know, less than 5%. And basically every single day was over that average and the same for, for New Mexico. And then if you zoom, zoom further out into July, I mean, maybe this is the beginning of the case for the good monsoon, right? Like that it quite literally has been raining uh, a little bit at the very least, the aerial coverage of, of rainfall has been above average for almost every single day, maybe with the exception of three or four days, you know, from this July, you know, 27th, looking at yesterday, uh, from from yesterday to the start of the monsoon, June June 15th. So, I mean, again, we're 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 thinking a little bit more about not just June, but into into July. But I but I do think maybe the story has been quite different than we started this pod with. If you just don't live close to us, <laughs> yeah. I well, there's 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 been it's such a weird monsoon so far which is I get I I don't know like I'm sure if we dug back through the records which we actually tried to do to try to find an analog a similar year they're all just different from enough from each other that they don't match and so I, you know our effort today is to try to like point out what some of the nuances are the time the kind of the evolution of the timing of the monsoon was that pretty busy period the end of June it actually did slow down quite dramatically where you got into the first week of July and it wasn't even really until you got to 
I don't know, around the 15th of this month, where the activity started to expand across the region again and pick back up. And, you know, before that, it was pretty isolated and look kind of low grade activity. So we've had a couple what we call sort of burst periods, a pretty long break period in the middle of July. And we're now uh, a burst period more recently uh, that has dropped some very isolated, very heavy rain causing flash flooding. Uh, and especially what's been most impactful in areas like Flagstaff where there that rain is falling on burn scars and you're seeing just crazy flash flooding with debris flows and, and large scale geomorphic change. But these have not been big widespread organized thunderstorm complexes that have swept across, you know, entire counties, you know, have traversed, you know, into the low deserts. They've been very slow moving, if maybe not moving at all, uh, storms that have favored some topographically some, you know, higher elevation locations with some of those areas nearby benefiting as well. So I want to pause on that analog year because I, I actually tried to do this exercise too, right? I was just looking at June and I, I looked at the years where there was an early onset and, and tried to find the a similar pattern. 2000, which was the earliest on, onset in Tucson, if you use that old definition, was very similar in terms of dew point. It, it had a lot more rain, however, in, in June than it did this year. But I was, you know, rain can be a fickle thing at particularly one station. So I was trying not to use that, just that metric. I don't know. What do you think of 2000? Did that jump out to you at all? Or Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, the, the anomaly coverage time series that we were just talking about. And it, it has that sort of similar, really, you know, quick ramp up and it decayed really quickly, right? Like it just, that pacing of it, it just could not keep up it looks like we're doing better this year than we did in 2000. So I think in 2000, you saw that June activity give away to a really quiet July, some activity in middle of August, and that was it. And then that monsoon was basically over by August 31st. The prism maps for the whole region, just using that 2000 analog, thinking about it in terms of like the equivalent uh, gridded precip data for right now. I don't know, man. It's like, so what sticks out to you as uh, you said, it's weird. You know, it's, we carved it up in a couple of acts already, right? We've got that pretty robust start, especially favoring New Mexico. That's, you know, New Mexico coming online first, reaching into Southwest New Mexico and Southeast Arizona. That's the normal progression of the monsoon. So that, that really wasn't unusual. The monsoon was two weeks earlier though. Or two weeks week earlier. Earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is unusual. You're totally right. So that's, that's, that was, you know, really encouraging. And it seemed to like it, it bore out in the forecast. Maybe there's a little bit of that La Nina uh, correlation that's part of this as well. So all that kind of playing together. The break in the early part of July, very hot temperatures, humidity was up, not a lot of rainfall was a little bit dismaying because, you know, that was pretty different than we saw last summer with that really robust, you know, if you're thinking, and I think part of my problem is, is that I always I have this sort of like recency bias where like the last monsoon I can remember is the one that I expect to happen again. <laughs> they never work that way, right? And this one's completely different than that, right? You know, this long break period, this more recent period has definitely deep, deep moisture, you know, lots of precipitable water across the region, daily rounds of thunderstorms. You know, it's been cloudy in the afternoon at our house every day for six days now. So it feels like a busy active monsoon, but the, the, the precip patterns have been parked largely, and we haven't had much organization in the storms. And so they're not really sort of dousing, you know, whole watersheds and, um, you know, kind of spreading out that precipitation. So, but that, that could change at any point now, you know, as things reorganize, it's just been a very persistent stagnant pattern for about 10 days now here. We've had moisture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. been a lot of moisture. A lot of moisture. Yep. Yep. You know, and there was a lot of moisture last year and last year in July, if people remember, and I honestly don't know how you could forget eight inches just at the airport, but very, very vigorous July across the Southwest. So like, what's the difference? So precipitable water, it's a column integrated measure of moisture in the atmosphere, right? So it's, it's like, if you took a column 
of moisture from the surface up into the atmosphere and you wrung it out, you try to squeeze out all that water, that that depth is the amount of water in the atmosphere. And it's a, it's a nice integrated measure of moisture. And most of the moisture is at the surface and it, it uh, decreases as you go up in height. So it, it integrates over that. What's that value in June? Um, well, and again, it changes. So lower elevations have more atmosphere, so they can be higher precipitable waters, right? And so you go to the top of a mountain, you should have lower. So there's already sort of a climatology with that. But yeah, in June, in June, it's like a half inch, a quarter inch. Uh, I, I would have thought it was a bit even less. Sorry, I was trying to make it. A can, yeah, it, it absolutely can be. I think I was leaning towards the middle of the month, right? Yeah. And it's like, as you get to about one inch precipitable water, you start to get kind of excited that you've got enough moisture to start to support storm development, right? And so at about one inch, you can get storms to form, but they'll typically be pretty high based. You know, it's those June storms, right? They, you can see them for a hundred miles and they're, they're, they're the photogenic ones, Zach, that you can take great pictures of because there's just not, there's not much around the storms. They're real high based. You can see all the, the column of rain come out of it. Often they'll produce a lot of wind. So you get up to like one and a half, you, you know, you're in into the game and that's much deeper moisture. You know, we've been up Tucson, like 1.8 and, you know, two inches is now like if, when you get to two, you're at record levels, typically, depending on the location here in the Southwest, you know, so 1.5 to 1.8, plenty, that's totally plenty of moisture. And when you get into those situations where you have that much moisture, the sun doesn't have to do much work to actually create a thunderstorm anymore. You know, it just has to rise in the morning and all of a sudden you've got storms firing up, which is and this July 28th is exactly what happened this morning. Was the precipital water though, has it been markedly different or very similar to last year? July was gangbusters last year and there was a lot of mo moisture around. There was a lot of rain this year. There's been a lot of moisture around and, and, and just, it seems like in some key places, including at your and my houses, uh, there hasn't been that that rain. So can we, we can't really point to the fact that the moisture has been an, an issue with generating widespread. And so it's not the moisture, you're shaking your head. We've got these pretty coarse gridded data sets from climate models that try to basically fill in all the surface observations. So looking at precipitable water observations for June 15th through July 26th of last year, uh, there's this real strong bullseye of about 10 millimeters more than you'd expect over the northern Gulf of California. And that extended well up into much of Arizona and into New Mexico. This year, the pattern is really similar. It's just not quite as extreme. It's like six to eight millimeters above average. So it looks really good, you know, from a precipitable water moisture standpoint. And, you know, that suggests that the overall synoptic pattern has been really favorable to have Gulf surge events and import moisture on, on easterly flow. So yeah, everything is totally in the right spot flow-wise to have that key ingredient for a good monsoon, which is moisture. Let me just go over what the, the pattern of precipitation has been from June 15th through the 27th of, of July. And then maybe you can make the case for why you could argue it's a bad monsoon. And then I'll make the case for maybe why it's a, you can think of it as a good monsoon. All right. So the pattern is above average rainfall uh, has basically fallen in Arizona from the Mogollon Rim, the Northeast quadrant of Arizona from, you know, Sholo to Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon, all the way up to the to Four Corners. Now, admittedly, there isn't a lot of good data coverage in, in, the, in the far Four Corner region, but if you look at the map, this prism data set is showing sort of above average rainfall at the, at the higher elevations. Also above average rainfall, far southeastern corner, Sierra Vista, Douglas, Safford area, and south and west of Phoenix. So a good portion, you know, like eyeballing it here, like 50% of of Arizona with above average rainfall, you know, and there's been some notable dry areas. Kingman also has seen um, in that in that area above average rainfall. Um, the notable areas of, of, of dry, funny, it's been right around Tucson. South not all of Tucson though. Not all of Tucson. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, broad, broad brush here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, south and west of Tucson, uh, around the border region, far uh, western, southwestern area, Yuma area, 
the northeastern corner, a little bit north of, uh, of Prescott and, and west of Flagstaff, and then north and, and, and east of Phoenix. So there's been some there's been some large regions of above average and more isolated regions sort of pocketed a, um, of, of below average across uh, Arizona. And then if you go to New Mexico, it's a little bit easier to describe. You know, the, 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 the eastern, a sliver of eastern Arizona has been below average rainfall. And basically from central New Mexico to the border region, uh, north to south has been above average rainfall. In fact, the, the sort of highest values in New Mexico have been sort of in central western New Mexico. And largely, Mike, you know, that it looks like that maps on quite favorably to more or less that one major event in 22nd of, uh, of, of June. It looks like that probably is driving the New Mexico pattern, at least in the western half of, of New Mexico. Yeah, um, I think that's right. They, they've also, so the Gila Mountains have had very frequent afternoon thunderstorms as well. So they not only had that, but they've had, this extends all the way into the, the eastern mountains of uh, Arizona too. So Mogan Rim extending to the Gila Mountains, that area is just like every day it's been raining. You know, so like the percentage of days with rain in those parts of New Mexico is greater than 80% of days since June 15th. Right. And I think this is an argument for why it's been a good monsoon. If you look at the higher elevations, uh, the distribution, I mean, they're all, a lot of the higher elevations are experiencing above, above average uh, rainfall to date. It's the, the, the low deserts, the lower elevations, particularly around like the, between the 2000 and 4,000 feet elevation range, like where Tucson is, that's been the area that struggled, struggled the most. So, so with that pattern, Mike, make a case for me why you think it's been, or not why you think, but why one could argue, because I have heard, you know, a lot of people have come up to me and been like, what's going on with the monsoon, you know? And so there's quite a, a number of people that uh, are, it's not raining at their house, just like it isn't at our house. But what, what, what's, what could be driving that argument that it just hasn't been a great monsoon? I think the spatial coverage of the storms has been, it's been, favoring certain locations over and over again because of the really, really weak flow pattern, right? So lots of moisture. We've had some very weak organizing mechanisms in the form of mesoscale convective vortices, which is maybe a, a segue to talking about those a little bit more. Um, but overall, this idea of a weak flow pattern, so not having much wind directional shear or speed shear, well, we'd we need the, the speed shear in particular, meaning having, as you go up in, in um, the atmosphere, having some winds that would actually cause the morning thunderstorms that, that will always form first on the mountains, typically, be moved off into the lower desert locations, right? And, and if there's enough of that change up in the flow pattern over the, what, how many days has it been in the monsoons since the 15th? So like, 40 or 50 days, what you'll start to do is you'll start to, you'll get with all this moisture rounds of thunderstorms and they'll, you know, they'll paint a stripe on one spot one day, they'll paint a stripe on a different spot the next day, maybe the next day that'll go back to that first spot, but you'll start to get more of an even um, precipitation pattern. But with this really weak flow, you end up having this repeat pattern over and over again. And so you can start to see locations like even in Tucson and just real small areas, areas will get the same heavy rain days and days and days on end, whereas just 10 miles away, there's, there's- And those are closer to the mountains. Yeah, yeah, but even, I'm even looking like, like I was, there's a monsoon rainfall update that the Flagstaff Weather Service Office just posted. And I was really intrigued by seeing that Payson, you know, which is way up in the mountains in the, high country of Eastern Arizona, they've had just less than an inch and they would normally see about 2.51 inches today. So they're about an inch and a half um, behind. And the Heber Ranger Station, which is not that far from Payson, has actually had five and a half inches of rain, which is three inches above, right? So those are two higher elevation locations that are completely in different uh, monsoon season precipitation totals to date. And so it's your you hope with a monsoon season that you have enough of a shakeup over time that you start to even 
the spatial pattern of precipitation out so that benefit is kind of spread around because honestly not getting monsoon moisture is it's impactful especially coming off of you know two La Nina winters and this past La Nina winter so we'll start to see pretty dramatic drought impacts at these locations that aren't getting the monsoon moisture um, and staring down a potential of a you know a third July, uh, La Nina winter we need this this spatial pattern to kind of even out and, and um, spread the love around a little bit here. So the key thing then is the the, the winds. I mean, the moisture's been there. I mean, this is one maybe maybe thing that you can read into the the percent of precipitation by altitude. It's like where there is the ability of where you don't need wind as much to sort of drive storms uh, into the low desert. In other words, like where you have topography and the topography can create that its own uplift. The presence of the moisture generates rain, but you got to move those storms off the off the higher elevations. And if you just don't have that steering flow, then it's just not going to happen. Or where those those storms do fire up, they don't they don't move quite as as far. Yeah, and it, it's it's been a little bit frustrating to watch. This is just because I'm so emotionally invested in it, right? Is that it's you know Casa Grande, which is a a, a lower desert location. It's lower elevation than. Tucson has had several rounds of thunderstorms that have been able to fire up. And, you know, even places like Eloy, which is along, along uh, Interstate I-10 on the way to Phoenix, south of Casa Grande, have seen some pretty intense rainfall events that have occurred. So it's, it you know, I think that they had the right thermodynamics for the right situation. You know, part of what's happened in being real close proximity in some of these valley locations like Tucson is that We've had all the right ingredients, but ended up having the storms form on the mountains and then the anvils will shade out the valley. And then you're basically out of the game at that point because your, your thermodynamics are not going to work. Whereas some of those lower desert locations, you know, they're able to bake in the sun, become thermodynamically unstable, and then they get a nice outflow from the storms forming northwest of Tucson. And that's enough to kick up the storms there. So it ends up happening repeatedly because the overall flow pattern is just subtly enough the same from the previous day that you can get the sort of recurrent places where this precipitation is occurring. You know, and, and Phoenix has suffered from this too. You know, they've had a couple of storms pop up across the valley, but, um, and they even had a, a wind event with related to a microburst earlier this month from some organization of storms, but it, I think that was the only time that that really occurred. And then, you know, even watching the storms form today, the map across Arizona is just painted with flash flood warnings because of some of these locations just getting socked in with rain day after day. And so, it, you know, the additional rainfall the next day is just enough to trigger those flash floods. So the anvil comet's an interesting one. I, admittedly, like I've been gone for a fair amount this summer, so I, I haven't been present to actually observe things. And it, so, sometimes you just can't get the feel when you're not when you're not here, even if you've, you know, got a whole bunch of maps and, and data to look at. But anecdotally, I have noticed that it feels like there's been less evening, late afternoon, early evening, even night kinds of events. Like there hasn't been the sort of easterly waves or the way that I usually think about it, there's a couple, couple different mechanisms that can generate these storms. There's like, obviously the solar one that like you get really hot, conditions that can drive the convective storm. So like clear skies in the morning. And then, you know, if you have moisture around, like you see those clouds build and they're ready to, to burst. And so that convective solar generated mechanism is, is critical. But then there's also those events. And this happened last year, like where there's just rain at night and, and that you need something moving in that creates the, the, that generates that uplift creates the, the, the favorable dynamics. And so have have those kinds of conditions been less less frequent this year or or not? I mean, yeah. I'm thinking of easterly waves and, and those kinds of things that can that can come in. Since June 15th, it has constantly evolved, right? This this season has constantly evolved, as you'd expect any season to do. We're just in a phase right now, the end of July, that is not it's not that unusual for this time of year. It's just a little frustrating if you're like wanting it to rain at your house. It's raining at a lot of other people's houses, which is great. And it's raining in areas that really need the rainfall. So totally, totally cool with that. So yeah, so that pattern early in the month, it was really a, a, 
very low activity uh, downgrade activity giving way to more moisture and some better activity. I, the easterly waves have been certainly discussed in the discussions, and I think we've seen evidence of that coming across on from the position of the big subtropical ridge and the easterly flow that we've been in have come across from New Mexico. And it's really been over northern Mexico. And northern Mexico has seen several of these large-scale mesoscale convective complex uh, complexes form. You know, those are where you can get afternoon thunderstorms turn into clusters of thunderstorms. And those clusters of thunderstorms actually merge together and become a giant kind of coherent kind of breathing monster of storms that will move along on the easterly flow. And if they can cross into the Gulf of California, that's actually one of the triggers of Gulf surges. And so we've had a, a fairly frequent number of Gulf surges over the last couple of weeks, which is why the moisture has been so good in Arizona, right? So that's that's all kind of worked out together. And, and that's been really, really favorable. The flow over the, especially the, like the last 10 days has been extremely weak and diffuse and because of the high pressure system across the West is it's sprawling. It's, it's Mike Luthal was talking about this discussion. It's basically flat, right? So you think about a kind of a topographic map, we look at these height features to give us an indication of where there's going to be um, circulation patterns. And it's been largely flat across much of that. So that's not going to give you any kind of shear. It's actually not going to be real helpful for steering easterly waves in either because there's no real flow with it as well. So what we'll need to see happen is we'll need to see some reorganization of the overall bigger synoptic pattern. You know, and that what could happen is that you can end up in these these sort of break well this isn't a break period because it's got all this moisture, but the high can rebuild in in a kind of a hotter spot of the west we'll start to get some height field rebuild, and then you'll start to see the flow reorganize around it. And so it's if we can hang out of the moisture, the dynamics may become more favorable for more organization coming into August. And the forecasts seem to suggest that that's still possible. So I want to go back because sometimes I get lost in the terminology. And sure. the, the MCSs, the mesoscale yeah. convective systems, you know, you, you, you can look that up and you can also find mesoscale convective complexes, mesoscale convective vortices, right? So let me, let me see if I can explain this and, or explain how I, what I think they are, uh, Mike, and you can, you can correct me when I'm, when I'm wrong, but these, these are important things, particularly in Northern Mexico, right? Like if they're important everywhere, but they seem if they happen in northern Mexico, they, as you said, they help trigger surges of moisture up and in, into in to our region. So they're one of the mechanisms that can help drive moisture and 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 generate part of the conditions that are favorable for for monsoon. And so, so how I see these things are, it's just sort of a large hundreds or a hundred kilometers. They have a particular spatial definition, but we're talking like a hundred kilometers across its, its large axis of thunderstorms that, so these are widespread events, right? That are, the coverage is, is, is pretty large, a lot of thunderstorm activities, but they sort of organize into a, some sort of coherence where they, they can generate their own sort of flow. Yeah, right? you know. th that flow can can be circular, but it doesn't actually have to. They can be these linear features as well. And I, I you, you you slapped me a a 1990 paper by had a couple authors, and I just remember Bob Maddox being one of them. I tried to read it, yeah, couldn't myself, couldn't yeah. wrap my head around it. But one of the things that I did learn is that these mesoscale convective complexes or systems can be things like a squall line or a derecho, but they can also be the hurricanes and tropical cyclones are defined as them as well. And in our case, it's sort of like the combination of a bunch of convective cells together that then uh, come together and, and, and can produce their own sort of flow. And one of the things that they, they generate is these mesoscale convective vortices, which are within these complexes. This is where the lingo gets like really sort of nuancy, right? Right. But those vortices are just these spinning centers that, can actually then subsequently generate other storms. So they can, they can last for quite a bit of time and sort of meander around, around the area. And uh, in that way, they have a longer life than just sort of a 
you know, one thunderstorm or, or a few, a few cells that are, that are popping off in any particular day. So what did I do wrong there? No, I, you're spot on. You know, it's, it's, I think we can think of this really simply in terms of what you just said, which is if you can, if you can have a, a, a thunderstorm event where you can get a, a bunch of smaller thunderstorms to sort of be close to each other and they start to grow in size where they start to then kind of form a large cluster of thunderstorms. You have all of this rising air, all of this huge release of heat, you know, because as you have all that rising air, you're going to have tons of condensation. Condensation releases energy up to the middle levels of the atmosphere. That's that's one of the functions of them thermodynamically. And you're going to end up having all of this rainfall out of it and this large cold pool that's underneath it, right? So that becomes a large coherent anomaly or disturbance kind of in the atmospheric field. And so all of that extra heating of the middle levels of the atmosphere, this organized thunderstorm complex, induces a change in um, we call potential vorticity, which then induces a spin. And so this the long duration of these organized thunderstorm clusters becomes critical because the time aspect of it and the size aspect of it leads to the ability for this small amount of spin, the vortex to actually form after the thunderstorm decay. And so what it does is that, just as you said, leaves behind these little spinning vortices. And they're, again, you gotta remember too, this is occurring in very weak flow, right? So as you talked about like squall lines or deratios, which happen up in the, um, in, here in the US, they'll happen up in the Great Plains in the, in the Midwest where you've got the dynamics of like cold fronts and larger start sort of air masses. Uh, air mass interactions. Here, this is all occurring in a maritime tropical air mass. And so it's then just completely a function of the shape and size of these thunderstorm complexes. And what it leaves behind is this little warm core circulation that looks like a little tiny hurricane on a satellite image. So they're really fascinating. Mike Luthold talked about it on his discussion, it's been in the Weather Service discussions. Others have noted, if you looked at the satellite images for the last week, we've had a, a bunch of tiny little, these swirls that if you watch the swirls in the morning, they're evident and you'll start to see bands of thunderstorms that can form on the edges of these mesoscale uh, vortices. I watched one yesterday, it was so cool. It was this thunderstorm that exploded out of the center of this uh, MCV, mesoscale convective vortex over Northern Arizona. I mean, it was just like, it looked like a hurricane eyewall popping off at that point. It wasn't the same by any means, but it was again, that little bit of shear and of the little bit of dynamics that these MCVs provide can be a focusing mechanism to enhance both lift and shear uh, in these situations. That was much deeper than I went. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure you were that convincing with it's been a bad, the argument for it's been a bad monsoon. I'm not sure it has been either. Like, yeah. I, I think I'm not convincing because I don't, I don't think it's been. I gave you the harder one because I, I mean, I do think like we're sort of around Tucson and like, again, if you look at that map, like it's kind of been, Tucson's been a, in terms of population where the population centers are, it's, it's probably fared the worst. You know, maybe Western, uh, so, sorry, Northeastern Phoenix has also not, not fared as well, but our neighborhood and not all of it, like you said, our, our neighborhoods have, have, have suffered. I mean, you have for the Tucson airport, you have to go back to the early 1990s to have a lower rainfall total at this date. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And we were looking at the, the flood control gauges and just a mile north or south of the airport the precip is double. Yeah. We, we should note though, that even if it's doubled or even in places it's, that it's doubled, right, it's still, still be below dry. average. Yeah. It's yep. still below average. Right. If you look across the Tucson basin though, I was, I was trying to use that kind of thinking here too, like monsoon today, what, what should Tucson have today? About two? Something like inches? that. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So if you like, look at, I'm looking at the rain log observations across Tucson. I mean, I can't really query it this way, but Probably a third of the rain loggers in Tucson have met that. There's probably two thirds are below that, but it ranges pretty dramatically of how far below. I mean, I'm just, I'm just 
we've seen this before. This is not unprecedented, but just like the precip patterns along the, the foothills of the Catalina Mountains here in Tucson. And I think you could tell the story all the way in different locations across the Southwest where there are places along the front range of the Catalinas that have had about a half inch to a third inch to five inches, you know, and only five, six miles apart from each other. I mean, it's again, it's the monsoon, but man, let's, let's shake it up a little bit here. I, I think we've actually already made the case for why it's one should consider this not uh, a bad monsoon, but let me just review that, right? There's moisture, there's been moisture around. So the fact that it hasn't rained in some places has been a function of such things that you mentioned before, which is like the wind profiles just haven't been conducive for widespread rainfall, but it's sure. rained in the, high, in the high country, you know? Yeah. And even in the low country. I mean, and even in the low country, there's, there've been a handful of events that have pushed all the way out into Western Arizona. I get not, not handfuls too many, like a couple. Right. And, and those were, those areas oftentimes will only see one or two events the whole summer. So, the real deep negative anomalies are, they're really kind of pockmarked and spread haphazardly across the Southwest right now. Other cases for a good monsoon, like Northern Arizona, some of the population centers, a lot of the population centers have fared fairly well. Flagstaff's above average. Kingman is just slightly above average. Page is above average. Prescott's just slightly below average. Sholo's much above average. Winslow's above average. In um, uh, Southeastern Arizona, you know, Nogales is above average, Safford's above average, Sierra Vista's above average, uh, Ajo's above average, you know, and it's a mixed bag when you look at Tucson, obviously it's below, Wilcox is below, and Picacho Peak areas is below. So a little bit more of a mixed bag in southeastern Arizona. What else? How's New Mexico doing? Yeah, and New Mexico has been, has been, uh, most of New Mexico has been above average. And we already talked about Gila, the, the high areas, northern Mexico the heart of the monsoon region, you know, it's been so sorry, Tucson. Sorry, Mike. It's really, it seems to be you and I, I mean, it's like, I think even Ben's house has had more rain than the, our total combined. Yeah. It's just, it's bad luck at that point. I think I'm digging myself out of the slump. I think it could change and I think it could change really quickly. You so, just need to go hiking and, uh, you know, and on, on the Santa Catalinas or go up to like Payson or, Flagstaff. <laughs> I hate driving. I hate driving to my rainfall, Zach. It's just like, it, Fair enough. Know, I want it to come to me. All right, Mike, very quickly, just a little bit about the hazards. I think heat is a little bit, it, it's worth dwelling a little bit on the, the temperatures, you know, through July 27th, been, you know, the heat ranks uh, for the major cities have all 10 with the exception of Flagstaff. So El Paso's, you know, its maximum temperature, its average maximum temperature is, has been the sixth hottest on its record. Albuquerque, top 20. Tucson is currently uh, ranking at seventh. Uh, so it's in the top 10. Flagstaff, uh, right around uh, uh, its midpoint, it's 47th. I was actually a little bit surprised, to be honest, because there's been quite a bit of cloud cover. I will say that the minimum temperatures, the anom anomalies have been warmer than the, the maximum temperatures have. The temps for the month were really driven by the break we had at the early part. And it's only been in the last like week or so that we've started to have the afternoon cloud cover and the moderation of the temperatures. But it's not before you're starting to get some, you know, decent pushes in the afternoon temps. But yeah, the cloud cover has been a little bit more recent than the rest of the month. I was surprised though when I looked at the number of days, and this is courtesy of Paul Inez uh, at the National Weather Service in, in Phoenix. I was surprised to see how many days in Tucson were above uh, 100 degrees. And right now uh, we're above average and it's the sixth highest uh, number of days through the date on record. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, we've had 51. Wow. We've had 51. And the, the, highest, the highest total through this date uh, was 58. Um, and that was uh, 2020. Sorry, 2020 and 57, 1998, sorry, 1988 had 58. So we're, we're above average and we're in the top 10. Even with all this moisture and cloud cover around, it's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, Phoenix is also running above average. To date, it's had 65 days, 100 degrees Fahrenheit or above. It's not in the top 10. 
which is not surprising. And uh, 2020 was like Tucson the, the, had the second most through this date, which was 74. And 1989 had the most uh, 79. So wow. two weeks fewer uh, days above above 100 from the record in, in Phoenix. Anything else, anything strike you about, about temperature that you want to go over? I, I mean, it's a similar story. Um, you know, the, the trends are all trending above average. So. Yeah. I mean, it, the climate change signal is definitely here. It It's baked into all of these, these statistics. And again, I was, I was surprised Tom Ben earlier too, as I pulled up the, the temperature map for the last 30 days, thinking it was going to be a bit more moderate than it was given the, the moisture that's been around, but you know, that's what we're dealing with now. I didn't get a chance to look at fire and I meant to, I just ran out of time. I don't know if you have any, like, I mean, we're past the peak, obviously fire activity ramps down during the monsoon season. There's still some here and there, but for the most part, like where we come in, in terms of statistics, yearly statistics is, is sort of set in stone. There were some impactful fires, including the, the Hermit Peak Calf Canyon complex in New Mexico, which is either the largest or the second largest on record. Anyways, the monsoon onset was really, really critical to taking that season and trying to put it to bed. And I think it largely did. I think the monsoon moisture coming in in June was really critical. And two weeks ahead of schedule, two weeks make, can make a huge difference on the spread. There has been some fires that have continued to pop up due to lightning, but have been fairly small and, and I think contained pretty quickly at least what I've seen in, in Arizona over the last couple of weeks. All right. So in real time, Ben is slacking us. So we have some, we have some statistics. Yeah. Now I'm remembering this New Mexico. I think, uh, you know, it's first and second largest fire on, on, on record this year. So it's total number of acres burned, um, you know, we're North of 600,000 and it's, it's average is, uh, around a uh, hundred and a quarter, um, so 125,000. So much above average. Arizona, on the other hand, and this is through actually just July 5th, but again, that's it's it's probably most of the of the story there. So Arizona was right around average for the year. So New Mexico is uh, driven in large part by those by, by those two fires. Okay, so so through July 19, uh, New Mexico 850,000, a little bit more than 850,000 acres burned and Arizona a little bit more than 82,000. So there you have the statistics. Arizona close to average, New Mexico way above average. Drought, Mike, anything you want to mention about drought? I mean, this is the time obviously where, you know, the places that it doesn't rain, drought's going to sort of deepen. Uh, places where it rains, it's going to beat back a little bit. But any, any, anything you want to provide for the drought context? If we're thinking in terms of tracking, like with the drought monitor, I mean, you can remember Going into last summer, we had extreme, severe and extreme drought across much of Arizona. One of the wettest monsoon seasons on record didn't completely erase the drought across the Southwest. So, you know, we're not anywhere close to being on pace with 2021's monsoon as far as precip. Uh, so we're seeing, I think we're kind of nipping at improvements here and there. But unless there's sort of a really dramatic shift in August, and even if there is a dramatic shift in August with more widespread precipitation, I expect the longer term drought conditions are going to continue to persist. You know, we're already, and we'll continue to talk about this in the next couple of months, about this third, potentially third La Nina winter, you know, which could be further, create further problems for the, the water situation, the snowpack, the longer term drought situation here in the Southwest. Well, fortunately, the monsoon does not look like it'll be 2019 or 2020. Yes. And it's like, even my really weak attempt to try to paint this as a bad monsoon, it's only bad because it hasn't rained in my house. <laughs> if I got an inch of rain in the next couple of days, I'll be just perfectly happy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on. Um, Want to get to the monsoon fantasy for, so bef this, this is the point, Mike, in the podcast where we, we put you on the, on the hook to to give us your 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 forecast for August going going forward, and 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 that sort of turns us toward the monsoon fantasy forecast game. Yeah, so this is our yeah. second iteration. We had quite a bit of, of turnout this year, Mike. I'm super excited about this. So uh, this is our second running of the game. Thanks to everybody who's who signed up. But uh, 
we've had 402 people provide at least a forecast or, or play in July and or August. And you can still make forecasts for August. So this 402 people is sort of a, a minimum estimate. So that is, you know, a 25, no, a 33% increase from last year. We had a total of 296 people play uh, last year. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this. The other thing I'm excited about, Mike, is that, and we noted this last year, like we kind of came into this game and, and, and sort of wanted to tap into like all the weather enthusiasts in the region. We know this is there, there's quite a few of those people out there, people that listen to this podcast, for example, or, or rain loggers, you know, but it turns out that a large fraction of the people who play this game, like self-describe themselves as sort of beginners or advanced beginners in their knowledge of, of, of weather and climate, which I am really happy about. I mean, yeah, but, that's super cool. I mean, it's, we, yeah, that's exactly what we are going for. Yeah, we're, we're, we, we were hopeful to engage a different audience and see where that takes us. So 50% of the, the people self-identify as either, as either an advanced beginner or, or a novice, which is great. In fact, the winner last year, uh, I think, self-identified in one of those two categories. So you don't actually have to be an expert. And in fact, it's probably a detriment. <laughs> Thinking too much about your forecast is usually a problem, which which is a bit counter to the science here. All right. So what is your current standing? Do you know what your current standing is in point total? I think I'm at in the 50s right now. Oh, really? Way better than I have been in the past year. I'm, I'm rolling in at 101. Are you really? Yeah, I'm in 101st place. So far, the, the leader is goes by the name of Waterwise, and the points update each day. And so if more rainfall comes in these cities, the, the, the points can either go up or down. So as of right now, Waterwise has scored 27.36 points. I have scored 6.49. So that, <laughs> there's a big thing there. Our own Ben McMahon is coming in at fifth place. Yeah, what's, so, his, what's, his, so what, what's your name handle here? It wasn't very creative. Ben McMahon has the most uncreative uh, handle. So, so Mike, where, where are you, 50? Clearly not in the top 10. You're not in the top 20. All right. The other thing I want to I talk about is we asked people what they thought the total precipitation of the monsoon season was going to be like. So just sort of a qualitative, much above average, near average, below average, or much below average. Do you think, Mike, we have a optimistic, demographic, pessimistic, or sort of near average? Okay, I'll give you my reasoning here. I think they're probably optimistic because they're if we're if it's true with our demographics here, we've got kind of new interested people. They're not jaded yet. So <laughs> so that they're they're and I was the same way. I was an optimist. And it's slowly gotten beaten out of me over time. That's interesting. We should look at their expectations of the season based on their self-identified expertise of the monsoon or knowledge of the monsoon. We didn't do that. You are right though. 60% of the people that played either thought this monsoon in in aggregate was going to be much above average. 27% thought it was going to be around average and only 12% thought it was going to be below average. Nobody thought it was going to be a disaster. Nice. Yeah. So kudos. I, I will. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves over time. I mean, over the years, like whether or not and and re- recurrent players, like like if if that changes. These are just some fun things that uh, that we're playing with. So, Mike, what do you think going forward? What's your what's your August and September outlook? Mike and I have a side that we can't win, even if we and it doesn't look like we're gonna. Um, <laughs> and and he may. But we have our own sort of side bet, which is uh, a, a few beers on the line. So, Absolutely. and I always, I, I actually always lose to you on this. So, do you really? Are you sure? <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like it. Um, all right. So, so your forecast for the rest of the monsoon? What do you think? The official forecast coming out of the Climate Prediction Center continue to lean towards above average precipitation for um, certainly for the next month, and that. Uh, shift is favored over 
the kind of the core of the monsoon region. So it's Arizona and, and Western New Mexico with the um, best chances over Southeast Arizona, right? And that's been pretty consistent. Um, so that's for August. If you look at the six to 10, eight to 14 and the week three, four forecast, all suggest that this uh, enhanced monsoon activity will continue, right? So that, that's actually pretty encouraging. So that's at that sort of shorter time scale reaches out through the, um, the end of next month. So what I did with my monsoon fantasy was go with just below median for all of the uh, stations. It's a little bit below average for all the stations. <laughs> and it's mostly because if this is a persistent pattern, I think we're gonna be lucky to squeeze out these average precipitation amounts at the stations in the, in the game, even if the surrounding areas are actually getting kind of hammered with, with good precipitation. It's just a little bit gun shy with this July situation right now. Yeah, so I was bullish in the beginning and I, I waffled back and forth on this, right? Like on the one hand, it was like, you know, we've had moisture around, usually that wouldn't persist throughout the entire monsoon period. I would have thought in a situation like that, that we've had that August might have less moisture around. And so I was, I was sort of on the one hand leaning toward a dry forecast, but conversely, I was like, you know, we, we just hadn't, didn't squeeze it out as much as we could have. Consequently, I'm like, well, even if we have a little bit less moisture around, maybe the other parts of the puzzle are more favorable for, for water. So I was encouraged by the early onset and I'm, I've been encouraged by the amount of moisture that's been around. And, you know, I ultimately, you know, sided with uh, the optimist side. So I, I went for my August was, was bullish. Now, September is a different story because I do think that the September gets into other kinds of mechanisms like decaying tropical uh, storms that we have to take into account. And that, uh, you know, with the, with the La Nina event or with the La Nina like conditions that, that sort of pressed tropical Pacific uh, activity. I'm, 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 I'm withholding my September forecast, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to go on, 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 on August. I just, I, I hope it happens. Yeah, me too. And it, August is so dicey because the monsoon can fall apart really fast. And that, that's what always makes me a little bit nervous about August is like climatologically it peaks, you know, it's this week, and into next and the kind of tails into the following week is kind of the peak of the season. And then it starts to wind down and it's, you know, um, it can be by August 15th that you're really starting to struggle to hold on to the good uh, synoptic flow pattern. And then, you know, by August 31st, you're really starting to, you know, reach into the transition season as you're lo looking forward to uh, September. Let's see if Ben's uh, able to, to turn on his mic. I'm curious what his, uh, his expectations are given that he's running fifth now, but you know, maybe you don't want to reveal your strategy. Well, I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> I lean dry on this every time. Um, just because like Mike said, it's just so hard to get these things going that, uh, having five dry stations is a lot more likely than five wet stations. And if I try to guess which one's going to go dry, I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. So I just guess all of them dry and hope I hit on a couple of them. <laughs> Oh man, he cracked the code. That's actually <laughs> Yeah, it's not a it's it's a statistical explanation and not a dynamical explanation. <laughs> it's not very exciting. Although I was trying to find we plotted out a couple years ago uh like the monthly total on a heat map and to have a dry July and a dry August is pretty unlikely. Yeah. Right. It hasn't happened very often and it's not to say that there's some reason for that other than just chance. It makes me wonder if maybe I shouldn't be leaning a little wet on all of these this time around. So well, I I'm rethinking it, it. I am rethinking it. Uh, <laughs> mine already locked. They're not locked in, right? We can go back. No, you can, the, yeah. them? Okay. Man, oh man. I should you can make forecasts um, up until the clock turns to August 1st. So 1159 on whatever, what is it? Saturday night or no, I have Sunday, night. Sunday night, Sunday night. 11.59 on Sunday night. I'll send out another email, but, uh, and you can still win the prizes if you, you know, miss one month and, and, and play for two months. So for those that didn't play in, in July, still get in the race. Although Waterwise is making it really difficult. Last year, the winner won with a total of 35 points. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
All right, Mike, I hope, uh, you know, I hope this was a little bit of therapy for yourself and exactly. you're, less, you're less persnickety. Um, it always is. I actually do. I do feel better kind of getting it out there. So thank you. Um, my bill me, whatever what the going rate is <laughs> on sort of climate therapy is. Nice. We should start charging. <laughs> and, and for those uh, few that stuck around to the, to the tail end uh, again, uh, please do, if you can uh, donate five minutes, 10 minutes to answer the, the, sur the surveys in the, the show notes. Uh, but again, the URL is tinyurl.com forward slash SW climate pod. All right, Mike, until August sometime. Yes. Happy monsoon, Zach. May All we right. both have an inch of rain in our houses in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> which even would even then be still below. Average. If it's an oh, inch by the next time, I'm still going to be grumpy. I know. Actually, I will be too. We should. Okay. Two inches. Let's, let's, let's be a little more positive. We need four. That's average. Four would be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Cheers, everybody. Thanks again. Yeah. Blah, blah. All right. While you work on that, we can move on. <laughs> Keep moving. I'll figure point. it out. I knew this morning and I was, I was in the 50s. I just wanted to make sure I didn't change. Yes, you're right. I, I screwed up. Uh, the mean is to the right. Um, we can cut that out then. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I hope he leaves it in. <laughs>